And one of the reasons we encourage you to be here at uh, 10.30 for the Sunday school time is to uh, get the stories that, that are in the Bible so that when we preach about the stories, we don't have to spend uh, so much of the sermon time uh, telling the story that we can spend that time on the application and uh, the points uh, that we would like to make as far as uh, helping us to learn how to live daily for the Lord. Now, the book of Ruth is an actual book of history. It really happened, real events, real people's lives recorded in the pages of your Bible. And they are here for a purpose. They're here for a purpose to show us, number one, how people lived. And number two, to give us encouragement and direction on how we should live. And so this morning, the sermon's actually divided into two parts. One is we're just going to go over some of the uh, uh, points of the story, not all of them, but the ones that I would like to bring out. And then we're going to go back and, and we're going to see how that this is truly a living history and that you and I are facing the very same things today that Elimelech, Naomi, her two sons, and Ruth faced in their days. And let's just start reading in verse 1 of chapter 1. It said, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. She was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, and the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years and Malon and Chilion died also both of them, and the women and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. And so what we have here in the first uh, five verses of this book is the basic history uh, of the story. The rest of the story, the rest of the book, is covering a very short time span. Basically, several uh, months here at the very most. And yet, most of the detail is right there. Now, let's just go back and pick up on a little bit of the history of the time of Ruth. It was during the time of the judges. And, and we've often, uh, I've often just said a little uh, joking and, and, and things. They're, they're, the Bible is a big book. And there are many things that are given there. The book of Judges is not a book you want to read if you're depressed. Uh, if you have uh, a lot of emotional issues and things going on in your life, don't read the book of Judges. It's a very sad, it's a tragic book. Uh, it's a book of the story of the sin of mankind. Now, when sin has its way in society as a whole. It's not only the sinners 
They pay for it. It's everybody. All society bears that burden. And you can look through the history of this nation. You can look through the history of any nation that has had the influence of this book called the Bible in its, in its uh, fabric, in its uh, uh, founding as this nation did. Uh, it's interesting. This nation was not founded by a religion. It was not founded by men in order to promote religion. It was founded by men who believed that God was bigger than they were and that his principles were far better to build a nation upon than the principles of any philosopher or any man that has ever been known. And uh, uh, even Benjamin Franklin, who was no friend of the Bible, as they were having the constitutional convention that actually formed the government that we enjoy today, was sitting in a chair, and on the chair was the picture of a son. And it was uh, engraved into the chair, and someone said, yes, this is, this is a good omen, the sun is rising. And he says, we can't tell whether it's rising or setting. He said, but you know, we'd better ask God that it's a rising sun. He didn't say it in exactly those words, but that was... And if a man like Benjamin Franklin could understand that we need God's help, why can't we today understand that it's, it's a good thing to pray to God, the God of the Bible? And something we need to understand, not all gods are the same. I get a little weary when someone says, Oh, we all worship the same God. That's not true, my friend. Look at what they tell you about that God. Uh, and we don't have time to go there today, but the, the characteristic of the time of the judges, of the days in which Ruth lived, in which the other characters of this story lived, it says there was no king in Israel and every man did that which was... Well, wait a minute, they did a lot of wrong. Why are you saying right? Well, the Bible says that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Uh, which, again, goes to tell us, just because you think it's right, doesn't make it right. You see, God is the one that determines what's the difference between right and wrong. He's the only one that has that authority. Which is one of the reasons why they want God out of public discourse. You know, because God has some ideas about what is sin and what isn't. Uh, in fact, he's written a whole book for us today. This Bible which we hold, it explains to us that why sin is sin. People think sin is called sin in the Bible because God is a big old sourpuss sitting up in heaven and he doesn't want us to have any fun. No, God calls sin, sin, because sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. 
You name the sin. How many of you enjoyed eating over the holidays? I'm not going to ask you if you enjoyed overeating. But if you eat too much and eat too much of the wrong things on a regular basis, what's going to happen to you? You're going to get sick. You're going to catch disease. You're going to die. You see, God wasn't kidding when he said, sin bringeth forth death. People drive and disobey the laws. And what happens? People die. People involve themselves in all kinds of immoral practices that the Bible says is wrong. You know what? It brings forth death. And Naomi and her husband Elimelech and their two sons were part of Israel. They, they apparently knew the laws of God and were trying to live them, but it was a wicked day in which they lived. I mean, there were horrible stories recorded in the book of Judges and, and every once in a while God would send a leader along and they would follow that leader. But one of those leaders was a guy named Samson. Hardly someone of sterling character that we would want our children to imitate, if you know the story. How about Gideon? Wasn't Gideon a great leader of God, a mighty man of valor, the Bible tells us? Yet how many of you know what happened in Gideon's later days? He took the the gold of prey and made an ephod or a priestly garment and and actually led the children of Israel into idolatry after God used him to be a great savior and a victor. I mean, there was a lot of horrible things going on. Now there was a famine in the land. Now, if you'll look up in your concordance, you'll find the word famine does not appear in the book of Judges. So what famine is this talking about? Well, a famine, the word simply means the lack of harvest. It means the fact that you put the seed in the ground and for one reason or another, you are not able to gather the harvest in. Now, sometimes uh, that was due to disease. Sometimes it was due to uh, pestilence, to, the, uh, to grasshoppers and locusts and other uh, uh, insects that would destroy. But you read the book of Judges more than once. As God sold his people into the hand of the oppressors because of their disobedience to his word, that invading armies would come and they would destroy the crops and kill the animals so that there would be no food for the children of Israel to live in. Now, we hear all the time, all this great frost in California is going to kill the orange crop. How many of you have ever had to do without a glass of orange juice if you really wanted one? I don't think anybody here. You know why? Because California isn't the only place in the world where they grow oranges today. I mean, they'll bring in oranges from Israel. They bring in oranges from uh, Brazil and, and South America. 
Uh, in fact, your orange juice that you drink, if you look on the label, uh, many times you'll find that this orange juice contains concentrate from places that you never thought oranges grew. Uh, but it's all over the world. We don't understand that when they destroyed the crops, people literally starved to death because there was no food to eat. Now, what would you do if you were in that situation? Not because of your wrong, but because of other people's wrong, because of the direction that society was heading in, an invading army had come in and taken away all the food and you didn't have anything to provide for your children. Where would you go? What would you do? That's where Elimelech and Naomi were. Do you think that if you knew and understood that God's judgment was upon the land you live because of the sin of your people? Do you think you might want to go somewhere else? Would you want to escape those difficult circumstances that your nation was in so that your children would have a chance of growing up healthy and doing what's right? I mean, this is what apparently was going through the mind of Elimelech and Naomi. There was a famine. There was no food. What were they going to do? Well, in their neighboring country of Moab, there was food. There was peace. See, God wasn't judging the Moabites because the Moabites weren't God's people. In fact, they were one of the most debased cultures that human history has ever recorded. One of the preeminent uh, uh, characteristics of their society and their worship is if you were a Moabite, you participated in human sacrifice. It, it was sick. There was not a family in the land of Moab they did not know what it was to offer one of their own children to the gods of Moab. I mean, that's, that's sick, is it not? That's the way Moab was. But Ruth, I mean, Naomi and uh, Elimelech were there in the city of Bethlehem, the city that would be called the city of David, uh, the city where Jesus was actually born. Uh, of course, these things were many, many generations off at this time. They were from that very city and they began to look around them. They looked at their circumstances in which they lived. They looked at society as a whole and they basically said, we give up. There's nothing we can do. We can't change what's around us. We're going to do the best we can for our family." Now, would you argue with somebody about that? It's kind of hard to now, isn't it? But why did they choose Moab? Well, number one, it was close. Number two, they had food. There was no war in Moab. Nobody was bothering the Moabites. 
By the way, nobody had bothered the Moabites for a long time. They'd lived there for nearly a thousand years at this point. Nobody bothered them. They were their own people. And so they decided to escape the judgment of God by going into the world. That's what they did. And the verses that we read said they were there. And we don't know how many years. The ideal here is the the thought that seems to be implied in the passage was that these sons were young sons still living at home. Maybe their teenage years, maybe even younger than that. Certainly not marrying age. That didn't happen until after they were in the land of Moabite. We don't know uh, Moab. We don't know how many years that they were in the land of Moab before the father Elimelech died. Uh, but if you read the book of Judges, sometimes they were in servitude to these foreign powers uh, eight and ten and twenty years before the children of Israel would repent of their sin and turn back to God. It was just a repeated cycle. And so it was in one of these down times that uh, Elimelech and Naomi moved their family to the land of Moab and they were there for years and Elimelech died. Apparently in that process of time, Chilion, Malon had grown up. Their mother was there with them and living in widowhood and she had her sons and what's the natural thing when your sons get marrying age? Well, find them a wife. I, I like the way we do it today. They find their own, amen? No. Uh, you ought to have some help doing that. But they knew Moabitish women. They'd grown up in the society. They, they knew the culture. They knew everything there. And they didn't want to return to Israel. Apparently, Naomi didn't want to return. You know, when you, when you leave the land of promise, the land of Israel was the land that God promised his people Israel. When you leave, it's hard to get back. And it just seemed easier to let things continue as they were. And so Malon and Chilion married Moabitish women. And they lived there about 10 years. And in that space of 10 years... Both Malon and Chilion died. And now we have Naomi and Orpah and Ruth living together as widows in the land of Moab. We don't know what their living was, what it consisted of. Possibly uh, Naomi and Elimelech had been fairly well off when they left the land of Israel and they were living on their uh, money from having sold their properties and things. We, we just don't know what they were doing, but apparently they had some type of income. She wasn't starving in the land of Moab, that's for sure. And they were living there. And then we get to verse 6 and it says... Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people 
in giving them bread. See, there was a price to pay for going to the world. You know, Naomi wanted to return, and we don't know how long she waited to return. There's a verse in the Bible that I'm sure Naomi was aware of. Deuteronomy 23.3 says, An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Does that sound pretty uh, wishy-washy? Uh, Do you get the fair understanding of those words? God said that a Moabite was not to enter into the congregation of Israel to the 10th generation. And in case you've wondered what that means, the next phrase says forever. Uh, 10 generations is a long time. Uh, I, I would dare say that most of us could not trace our family back, our family heritage back 10 generations uh, I can go back uh, four generations and I'm already in the 1700s. And so look at the time period that is there. It says 10 generations. Naomi knew this. How in the world was she going to return to the land of Israel with two Moabites tagging along behind her and have any hope of the benefits of the goodness of the children of Israel and charity And Naomi said some of the most confusing words of the Bible to me. She tells her daughter-in-laws to return to their land and return to their gods. I, I don't understand that. Naomi had to know the difference. But I, I want us to take warning today. Should you choose to go back to the world where you came from, it's going to be a long way coming back. And you're going to find yourself doing things that you never, ever thought you'd be capable of doing. If you'd have sat down Naomi and Elimelech in chapter 1 and said, now, you know, God's given me your history. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to you. Your sons are going to marry Moabitish women. And, and I'm sure that both Naomi and Elimelech said, Never! Over my dead body! Well, Elimelech was already dead. I mean, it wasn't... It really didn't matter. If they'd have told Naomi, And you're going to take these women that you care for as your daughters-in-law and tell them to go back and worship a God that demands... Human sacrifice. The offering of little children to God, to that God. And you're going to say, go back and worship that God. Do you think Naomi could have even computed in her mind that she was capable of doing something like that? I don't think so. You see, there's a horrible price to be paid. For trying to go into the world. But I want to tell you the majority of this book is the 
proving over and over again the simple fact that God's love is greater than all of our sin. Amen? That God's love is more powerful than our pride, than our abilities, than our failures, than our society and the world itself. God is greater than all of these things. I want you to turn with me to the last chapter of the book of Ruth. And we'll touch on a couple of things here. And let's just come down here to to verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became a nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. And he is the father of Jesse the father of David. I just love that, don't you? Here Naomi is. She comes back to her land and the women of Bethlehem all gather around and, and is this Naomi? Well, it looks like her. Well, could be. And she said, yes, but don't call me Naomi anymore. She said, call me Mara or Mary. She says, because my life is bitter because of what the Lord has done to me. Now, let me ask you a question. Was her life bitter because God was mad at her? No, her life was bitter because she had chosen to disobey God. And we don't get unto chapter 3 until Naomi finally wakes up and realizes that there is a law of God that can be obeyed and things brought into play that would make a better life for her daughter and for her and all of these things. It's not until Naomi starts operating under the law that there's any hope for Naomi and Ruth of being anything more than two beggarly widows living out their lives in loneliness and separation from the, the, the people in which they lived, much as the same way as they would have had to have lived in Moab. It was only when Naomi started surrendering to the law of God, and she didn't know how that was going to work out. You know, read the, read the rest of the book. Boaz didn't know how it was going to work out. Until it was all completely solved. And of course, God knew how it was going to work out. Amen? 
And God did some miraculous things. And Naomi became Naomi again. The word Naomi means pleasant, beautiful. She said, my life's been bitter. The end of the book, all the women of Bethlehem said, you're Naomi again because your life is sweet now. Your daughter-in-law that loved you, she's better than seven sons that, that you could have had. And Ruth, who was a Moabite, I read in some of the commentaries, they said, well, that, that, that standard in Deuteronomy 23, that applied only to men. It doesn't apply to the ladies. Uh, they could become members. But read Nehemiah. There were Jewish men that had married Moabitish wives. And... Uh, there, there's some really horrible things, divorces and all of that that had to happen. You see, the law of God says some things that are pretty harsh, does it not? Uh, how many sins do you have to sin to be under the judgment of God? Uh, for all have sinned. And come short of the judgment, I mean of the glory of God. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is what, my friend? Death. The wages of sin is death. Now, we, we go over this often, but wages is something that you earn. It would be unlawful. It would be a sin not to be given what you've earned through your labor. Isn't that true? I mean, if you went to work for a boss and that boss said, I'm going to agree to pay you uh, so many dollars an hour and you work your 40 hours in your week and your boss says, well, I've changed my mind. I'm, I'm only going to pay you for 30. What would he be? He'd be a thief, would he not? If God doesn't give you what you've rightly earned because of your sin, God would be dishonest. And that's not possible. The wages of sin is death. Now, aren't you glad the next word is but? There's a connection in there. The connection changes direction, though. That's what the word but means. It means these two things are hooked together. But we're changing direction. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Aren't you glad that's in there? You see, the law says you can't enter heaven. Period. No way. No, how? There's no way for you to get there. Not if you could live ten generations. How many of you know where we're going with this? But you see, God said, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, He'll forgive you your sins. And you, His death, the death of Jesus on the cross, will be counted 
as if you died. And therefore his death, counted as your death, allows you to live and escape the penalty of your sin and go to heaven. I think that's the simplest way to understand what happened with Ruth and Deuteronomy 23. The law said there was no way for a Moabite to enter in to the congregation of Israel. No way, no how. Not to the tenth generation. Not forever. And yet, in a matter of months, she was married to Boaz, one of the heads of the family of Judah in the tribes of Israel. And her great-grandson would be the king that God said was after his own heart. You know, God has made a way that we can escape his judgment. It's through Jesus Christ on the cross. He took the law that condemned us to an eternity in a place called hell. And he made it non-topical for the Christian through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, what I want us to do for the rest of our time is go back to the story of the book of Ruth and see how it applies to us today. It says in the times of the judges. uh, Do we live in a wicked day? Do we live in a society that has turned its back on God and the truths of God's word? Uh, are, Are we seeing God's judgment played out in our society as a whole because of the choices that we have made to ignore God? I mean, I, I remember hearing so many years, God's judgment is coming, it's coming. My friend, if you can't recognize that it's already here, you got problems. It is here, it is now. And you know what the response is of many who believe on Jesus Christ? It's the same as Naomi and Elimelech's. They're going to go to the world because it's a little easier to live there than it is to serve God. You know what? We have churches that are meeting in bars because it's easier to meet in a bar and call a church than it is to meet in a church and call a church. You see, you get more people to come in that way. That's what they say. Uh, Many churches haven't quite gone that far. They've introduced Broadway-style entertainment into their church services. And they'll have the music and the things and... You know, I've lived in New York City 22 years. I've never been to a Broadway show. And and honestly and truly, I just have no desire to ever go. I, I don't want to go. I might like it. 
I know there's an awful lot of filth and trash. But let me tell you, it's not all just garbage. There's some very entertaining things over there. And I don't want to be pulled in that direction. You know, it's hard. As people come and and visitors are here today and we're glad you're with us. But sometimes as as a pastor, you you stand there and you say, now, what are they going to do when they find out what the Bible says? I'm sorry you have to think that way. But you know what? My faith is in God and in His Word that those who want what's in the Bible are going to stick around. You know, years ago, when we were just starting, got some wisdom from a great preacher. He said, what you do to get people into church is what you're going to have to keep doing to keep them in church. I said, Brother Clayton, what do you mean by that? He said, well, he said, if you're always having some big campaign and some great big program that you're running in the church, he says, you're just going to have to continually get bigger and better or people are going to start leaving the church because what you draw them with is, is the reason they come and why they want to stay. He said, if your music is what you use to draw people, he said, you're just going to have to continue following into the world to make their music more appealing to people that are in the world. You know, I begin to pray about that, and I, I come over uh, verses that I knew, knew very well. It says, it was through the foolishness of preaching that God saves those that are lost. I don't claim to be the greatest preacher. That would be a foolish jest at best. But I do preach the greatest book that was ever written, which is God's Word. And every service we have, we want it to be about this book called the Bible. You see, you're going to be tempted to escape difficulties in your life by going into the world. And I want to challenge you that the difficulties that you're going to face by going into the world will be far greater than the difficulties you will have if you will just stick to the Word of God. That once you get out there, and by the world way, what I mean is, as a church, we're tempted to drop the standards that are in the Scripture, to, to make our church more friendly to unsaved people. You know, I've prayed and I've thought about this. I would hope that if a person without Christ comes and sits in this auditorium on a Sunday morning, my prayer would be that you would be uncomfortable in your lost state. My prayer would be that you would not just be lulled to sleep, that you would be able to hear that there is a difference in the Word of God, that there is a difference when God's Word is preached And we're not surrendering His Word to the world in which we live. 
Now, we don't believe that rudeness and crudeness has anything to do with it. It's just simply being honest. God tells us certain things are sin. And if you were honest, every person in here, my hand would go up, would have to say, since last Sunday morning, we have sinned against the God of this Bible and broken his laws. You say, well, wait a minute. If you're the preacher, what, what are you saying? What I'm saying is that no human being lives a perfect life. Being holy is something God gives you because you bring your sin to him. It's not something you get because you were good enough to earn it. Could we have an amen on that? See, there's a price to pay to go into the world. I don't want to lose what's most important to me. I mean, that's what Naomi lost, wasn't it? Would anything be truly more important than your spouse or your children? That's what she lost. They were all buried in the land of Moab. In fact, when she went back to Israel, all she had was Ruth. And I'm sure in Naomi's mind and in Naomi's heart, the only thing that she could think of was what a burden and what a difficulty it was going to be upon her bringing this Moabite back into the land of Israel because of the provisions in God's law. Yet when God was finished with the whole thing, it was Ruth that had given life back to Naomi, not the other way around. Amen? You see, the answer is not going into the world. The answer is not in worrying about where you've been and what you've done. The answer is in where you're going to go. You know what? I can't go back and redo anything in my past. As much as I would like to, can't be done. What is done is finished. It's recorded in God's record keeping. But if what I've done is sin, guess what's there? Beside each entry, paid in full with the blood of Jesus Christ. Paid in full with the blood of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful truth, amen? Now, where am I going to go from here? That's what Naomi did. And she began to give Ruth instructions. And they're, they're very strange. I mean, read the book. She was supposed to go uh, sneak into the threshing floor late at night and take the blanket that uh, uh, Boaz was sleeping with and just peel it back off of his feet and lay down on the ground 
Ladies, how would you like to have to do that to get a husband? Wouldn't that be great? And uh, people say, well, after Boaz talked to her, why didn't she get up and go? Um, Ever ready hadn't been invented yet. You, you just didn't go walking around in the dark. You would get hurt. And so she had to wait until there was at least enough light to see things and to leave in the morning. It was just that simple. Nothing happened that was wrong. I mean, there were all the servants were all around them sleeping right out there in the field at the threshing floor. They had to be very quiet not to wake them up. And so Ruth goes home. And Naomi says, now you just got to wait to see what God's going to do. You know, I think that Naomi was much more impatient than Ruth was, don't you? Because Ruth really probably still didn't have a full idea of what was going to happen to her. That by the end of this day, she was going to have a husband. That she was going to be brought into the congregation of Israel and that all the pain and the worry and the things that were going on, you see, all of the lands that had belonged to Malon and Chilion and, and by inheritance from their father and Limelech and his father and his father would all be purchased that day. Naomi would have money to live for the rest of her life. There was not going to be the problems that had been. It was all going to be changed in just one day because of provisions that were in this book called the Bible. Now you see, here's where we are. All of us are tempted. And it sure looks like it would be easier to go into the world. I know churches that have adopted worldly music and worldly thought and have huge attendance. But that's not my concern. Because the concern is God's going to judge us and our church by what goes on in this book. That's where we better be. Amen? And let me tell you something, there's a price to pay. They asked one of those famous preachers, he was on some television show, and and, uh, they said, uh, uh, Mr. Olstein, why don't you ever talk about sin? Uh, Why don't you talk about immorality? Uh, The Bible talks about fornication. Why don't you call that sin in your... Well, we just work on the positive things. Well... Uh, Mr. Osteen, would you believe that homosexuality is a sin? He said, you know, God hasn't really called me to deal with these kinds of things. I'm just supposed to help people know about God's truth. Well, I'm sorry, if people don't know about sin, how are they ever going to seek God's forgiveness and be on their way to heaven, my friend? It doesn't work that way. There's a price that has to be paid to go into the world. I don't want to pay that price. But that doesn't mean we do everything perfect here. If you're looking for the perfect church, this isn't it. There will only be one perfect church. That's going to be in the New Jerusalem, amen? I'm looking forward to being a part of that one. 
because the former things are going to be passed away. It'll be a different Pete Montoro that walks that street than the one that stands on the platform this morning. But what are you going to do today? You see, God's got some things set up in His Word. Are we going to just stick with the Bible no matter what? That's the answer. It's getting saved. It's believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. I am so glad to tell you today that it's not in some religious ritual. It's not in something that you participate in and hopefully earn enough goody points to be pleasing to God that it's simply believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ and asking Him to save you. And He'll do it forever. That's what salvation is. After that, guess what it is? Baptism. It's simply being obedient to the Lord and publicly identifying with Him. And by the way, baptism is what allows you to become a member of the church. I want to challenge you, you cannot be right with God and not be right with His church because that is His plan for your life, is for you to serve God through His church. Amen? And then there's a whole life of living. Let's see what I got up here this morning. Now, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you failed in your attempts at 2013 Bible reading schedule? Well, guess what? Next Sunday, it won't be 2013 anymore. And if you haven't gotten a brand new Bible reading schedule for the next year, we have one for you. Amen? And sometimes I make fun of the Baptist bread. It's a little daily devotional that you can read, and some of them are pretty strange. But most of them have a good point. And uh, I begin to think here, you know, really what I ought to do is just start writing one of these every day. And then I started thinking about that. I said, that's not going to work. Well, let's just keep getting the Baptist bread. Amen? And if you read one that's really strange, maybe the Lord put it in there so you could be a little more thankful for your pastor. Amen? (laughs) How many know what this is? These are the brand new tithing envelopes. I like them. They turned out very nice this year. And if you want to give to the church, um, we will give you a number. And then at the end of the year, those that have given last year, you'll get a, uh, you'll be getting your tax letter in the next couple of weeks, hopefully, uh, stating all of your giving for the last year if you deduct on your income taxes. Uh, but these are just little tools that we offer as a church to help you do the things that you ought to do. See, Naomi didn't get the blessings 
just because she came back into the land. She got the blessings once she surrendered her own bitterness and loss and started being obedient to what the Bible says. You know, I'm so glad I can read the book of Ruth and tell you today, don't worry about where you've been and what you've done. Start worrying about what you're going to be doing tomorrow. Amen? And whatever happens, the answer is not going back to the world. Have you ever met one of these people that think that they got to get away from everybody and everything to be spiritual? And they're out living in tents in the middle of the wilderness area and training their little children how to use guns and knives to protect themselves from whom, I wonder. I'll tell you, where have those people gone? They didn't learn that from this book called the Bible. I don't care how many Bibles they got in their tent. They didn't learn that from the Bible. They learned that from the world. It's time that we wake up and understand something that if you're not being obedient to the Bible, which says come here to the local church and serve God together, you're heading toward the world. That's how simple it is. And if you choose the world, you're going to lose everything that is important to you. You're going to lose it. Because that's what the world does. That's what it charges. You want to enjoy the pleasures of this world, just get ready to pay everything. That's all they take. But if you'll serve God in His Word, well, guess what? The, the world's going to look down on you. But that's okay. They've already lost everything. They just don't know it yet. You see, God's bigger than the world is. He's bigger than I am. He's bigger than you are. And He's given us a complete picture of His love that even on the outward appearance, looks like God has contradicted his own law by allowing Ruth to join in the nation of Israel. But the truth is, if Ruth had tried to hold on to her Moabite identity and her Moabite God and her Moabite way of living, would that have worked? You see, Ruth left the world so that she could serve God. And God, just like he takes a sinner that trusts in Jesus Christ, is no longer a sinner. So Ruth, who trusted in God, was no longer a Moabitess. She was now one of his children. Isn't God good? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we face many things in this life. Lord, of course, the greatest temptation we face 
is to head back to the world from which we came. To just allow it into our lives. Lord, I ask that you would work in hearts and lives this morning. That you would have freedom. That your Holy Spirit would do the work that is necessary. That those that may be sitting here today that do not know you as their Savior, that today they would just simply trust you and be saved. Lord, that those who know you as their Savior and have yet to follow you in obedience and baptism and membership, that today would be the day they would turn that corner back toward you and your word. Lord, we ask that we would live according to your word in these last days and that you would emblazon upon our hearts and our souls how dangerous it is to even for a moment look back to the world and head back in that direction. Give us grace to be your servants. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.